going to look at is a story of a good shepherd born in Bethlehem, but it may not be the first one that comes to mind. But I think it's relevant. Before we start, I want to give you all a visual picture. This is a flashlight. Very useful tools. I'm not sure what people did before they had these. Not being able to just pull these out and illuminate, I mean, not very useful right now, but often it would be. And there's all kinds of them. There's very simple ones. There's some other types. I have one that is a little bit more just fun, although it could be useful. Just more direct. And then it goes to really not useful, and it's just lots of stars and random shapes. Butterflies, hearts, and my favorite. So they have these flashlights, very useful things, or fun. And I was thinking about what they have in common, and that is they'll have a power source. They have these batteries. And if you take these batteries out, they become decidedly less useful. Now it is not useful at all. And it still looks fine, looks the same, but the power is gone. And I'm going to leave that up here because one of the things we want to think about this morning is in our relationship with God, where are we depending on? Where is our power coming from? So I want to leave that up there so we can think about it. It's a simple illustration, probably not original, but this is going to be somewhat of a simple sermon as well. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. The past several years I've spent some time thinking about the life of David. I heard a sermon probably several years ago that made me start thinking about it, David and Jonathan. I actually prepared a sermon about Jonathan that I cannot for the life of me remember if I ever shared here. So if y'all remember one, come let me know sometime. 1 Samuel chapter 16 is a story, the beginning of a story about a man that exemplified very well dependence on the power source instead of dependence on himself, dependence on God. It's the first mention of David in the Old Testament that I know of. I didn't research that very far, but it's where his story begins. So I'm going to read the whole passage, 1 Samuel chapter 16, and then we will get into it. So... You can follow along or just listen, whichever you prefer. I am in the New King James Version. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears this, he will kill me. But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I named to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. 
Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as men sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, with bright eyes, good-looking, and the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servants said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants, who are before you, to seek out a man who is a skillful player of the harp. And this shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them by his son David to Saul. So David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. Then Saul said to Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was, whenever the Spirit of the Lord was upon Saul, that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. Thank you for your attention on that. We want to look at this passage this morning, this chapter, and go through it trying to answer the question, what does this passage say? What does this passage have to teach us, and how can that change us? So I'm going to work my way through the passage, retelling it, and I'll stop at least three points, three main points that I want to make. And the first thing we want to do is get a little bit of a setting. So this is a story about the leadership of Israel. It's transitioning from Samuel to King Saul and to King David. And it's worth remembering that this is a time when Israel having a king was a brand new thing. Saul was their very first king, and he was about 10 years a king before David was born, more or less. And so this is maybe 25, maybe 30 years into Israel having a king. And from their perspective, it was going fairly well, probably, because they had defeated some of their enemies. Saul had done fairly well. Even the, the stories that we think of as Saul's big mistakes, if you think of it from the Israelites' perspective, the enemies were still defeated. They probably thought it was going well. 
But the story starts with Samuel. And from Samuel's perspective, this was not going well. He knew that God had rejected Saul from being king over Israel. And it was very disappointing to him. He was mourning over it. He was mourning a lot over it, it appears, from what, from what God says. And I think we can understand that. Because if we go back to when Saul was appointed king, you can see that Samuel invested a lot into it. It was, it was way more complicated than David's anointing. And so Saul had a vested in, or Samuel had a vested interest in seeing that Saul would be a good king. And it didn't work out that way. So, think of all the hope and disappointment coming to Samuel again when God tells him, okay, now give up on Saul. I'm sending you to appoint another king. And we don't know everything that was going through his head, but it says clearly that he was scared of Saul, or he inquired about it at least. So he had some measure of fear, and I would imagine with that went some apprehension. You don't just anoint a new king while the old one is still alive. That is a good way to get yourself killed. So he asked God about that. He says, well, what, what am I supposed to do? If Saul hears about this, he's going to kill me. And God's answer is somewhat interesting. He says, take a sacrifice, and if someone asks you what you're up to, basically, say, use that as your reason. I'm bringing a sacrifice, the sacrifice in Bethlehem. And it made me stop and look because we know that God's character is not such that he can lie or command deceit, any of that, so we can rule out that it's any of those things. But I was thinking about it, and I said, I feel like I could, with the wrong motives, I feel like I could do something very similar to that, and it'd be very deceitful. And as I was thinking about that, something came to mind where I did do something like that. So here's my embarrassing story for the sermon. I was driving the crane, coming back from a job, and I was going to stop and get something to eat. Going through a town, and I saw Hardee's, and I thought, well, this would be a good place to stop. So I parked, turned off the crane, and every time I stop on the crane, I always just walk around it just to make sure everything's good because sometimes I forget important things, and it's, it's saved me a few times. So I jumped out. I started walking around the crane, and a police car pulled up, and the police car said, uh, you know you can't park here, right? And the first thing that came to my mind that I should not have said and did was, oh, I'm checking my crane to make sure it's in, you know, everything's good. And he's like, well, you have your wallet in your hand and you're right beside Hardee's. I'm going to guess you're going to go get something to eat. And if you do that, I will have to give you a ticket. And I forget exactly how the conversation went, but I said, you're right. Thank you. I will just keep on going. <laughs> So Hardy's lost out on some business. But, and I was thinking of that. I did basically this, but my heart was different. I was trying to avoid a ticket. I was trying to deceive. And the reason I point this out is because just in just a little bit, in a few verses down, we're going to get into talking about how the heart is more important than the outward actions or appearances. And with sin, that is also true. Sin is a heart issue, often more than anything else. So anyhow, God gives Samuel some more instructions. Samuel follows them. He goes to Bethlehem and prepares Jesse and his sons 
that are there, not all of Jesse's sons. And whenever Samuel saw the first one of Jesse's sons, Eliab, I don't know what it was about him, he probably looked really good, looked kingly somehow. Or maybe it's because he was the firstborn, he's the oldest, and naturally back then the firstborn usually got those kind of positions. But Samuel thought, this has got to be the one that God wants to be king. And then we come to verse 7, which is the first of three main points I want to look at. So verse 7, God says, Do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as a man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So this is a fairly simple concept that we've all heard before. I have an illustration I want to do, and I'm going to need a volunteer. And James is not here, so I might have to just pick someone. If it helps, you'll get to see a secret that no one else will see. Logan, do you mind helping me with this? It's mostly easy with just one hard part. The hard part is you're not going to be able to tell anyone else what you see. All right, so you all can do something else for just a second. Now, Logan, you can sit there. All right. So here I have this plastic box. Just my empty black plastic box. Find somewhere to put it. And I'm going to take a white paper card and draw my name on it. Here's my signature. I have terrible handwriting, I know. And then we're going to tear it up. Six nice pieces, and I'm going to put them in my box. All right, so here's my box with my paper pieces in it. So what we're going to do is we're going to close that, put it up here for a second. Now, Logan knows something that none of y'all know. So the outcome of this might surprise y'all, but it shouldn't surprise him as much. So now that we've given this a little bit of time, open it. And instead of the ones I tore up, I have a full card. Now, does Logan know how this happened? Probably. Because Logan, thank you, Logan, you can go back. And you can't tell anyone. So, y'all are all adults and you're way past magic tricks, so I'm not all of you. I'm sure you don't care about this, but on the chance that I did pique your curiosity, 
and you were trying to figure out how that happened, what would be a question you might ask? What? How many compartments in the box? That's going down the right line. Anything else? Okay, those are good questions. So, definitely on to something with asking about the box. The secret is the fact that you can't see everything in this box. Logan did. If you just see the outside, you're not going to understand what's going on. So, we think about this passage. God can see inside. He can see our hearts. He can see what's in here, not just after I'm done and show it to you, but he can see what's in here the whole time. Well, we're all stuck looking at the outside of this and wondering what's going on. And Samuel had the same problem. Samuel saw the oldest son. He saw the outside, and it looked good. And God's response was, I'm seeing more than you're seeing, and I know that he's not fit to be the king. So, we've heard this many times. God sees the heart. We see the outward appearances. This is one of my main points, but we might ask the question, okay, so how does that help us? God can see hearts. We can't. So what good does that do for us? And part of that is true. We can't see hearts like God can. But I'll give you all a chance to interact a little bit here. How, how can we know what is in someone's heart? Scriptures or ideas, either one. Mm-hmm. Those are actually the exact two I was thinking of. So someone has some other one. That's great. But by its fruit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, I think. And this, that means that if someone has this Spirit from God, they should show those fruits. What Zach said, what they speak. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So... If y'all can't ever see inside this box, eventually you can guess what's happening just by seeing what's put into it and what comes out of it. So if I bring something else out, it could give you a clue, and you would be more likely to know what's going on in there. Just like if someone speaks, we can know somewhat of what's going on in their heart. Now, neither of those are going to happen instantly. You have to know someone or know their reputation to know about those. And so there's also the fact that God sometimes leads us and tells us what's in people's hearts, like what happened here. So here, God told Samuel exactly what was in, or didn't say what was in the heart, but he told Samuel whose heart he was looking for. Second question we could ask is, why, why do we look at things differently than God does? We can't see the heart, but why do we tend to judge by outward appearances? And I think it tends to boil down to who we think is the, is the factor in what happens. So when we look at someone and we're trying to determine what that person has to offer to God's kingdom, we can often be tempted to think, what does that person have to offer? We look at them, what skills does this person have? What are they like? When often, or sorry, in reality, God is the biggest factor. 
and whether God is working through them. So the question is really how much will God, how much will that person allow God to work through them? And that's what God was looking for in one of the sons of Jesse. He was looking for someone who had a heart that would allow God to work through him. Back to the story. So then the rest of the sons pass before Samuel, and God doesn't pick any of them. And Samuel asks Jesse, is this all your sons? And Jesse says, well, they're still the youngest one off tending sheep. And you have to think about this. Samuel was possibly still the most powerful person in Israel, maybe second. And he came to this little town of Bethlehem, and he asked Jesse, bring your sons to me for a feast. And Jesse just brought the first seven. It makes you wonder if it was just inconceivable to him that God would have something special in mind for the youngest, or what exactly was going on there. But they left, Je they left David, and the rest of them came. And one thing that that does is that proves to people who know the story that this was, not, this was from God. This wasn't Jesse and Samuel getting together, and we're going to pick someone who we think would be a good king. David wasn't even in the cards from Jesse's point of view. So they send for David, and <clears throat> excuse me. And David comes, and the description of him is interesting because more than likely it's written or narrated by Samuel, who just heard God say that you don't go by appearances, and the description says he was ruddy, likely meaning red-haired, fairly likely, so those of you who are red-haired, David might have been one of you, with bright eyes and good-looking. So for all of you good-looking people out there that were starting to get worried that being good-looking would disqualify you, it's not a disqualifier, it's just not the important thing that God is looking for. And God tells Samuel to anoint David. And he does. Now stop for a second and think about David here. One moment, he is out in the field, herding sheep or taking care of the sheep. He has seven brothers in line that are more likely to get any important position that comes his way before he will. And the next moment, he's kneeling before arguably the most powerful person in Israel being anointed as future king. It'd be great to know what he was thinking about. And unfortunately, I don't know exactly what he was thinking about at that time, but we actually do have an amazing resource to know a lot of what David's mindset was. Turn to Psalm 39. And I'm not quite sure about this. One of the resources that I looked at said that this is very possibly a psalm that David wrote concerning his anointing as king or right afterwards. But whether it is or not, there are quite a few that have this theme running through them that David wrote that give us a, a peek into his mindset and how he looked at these things. So Psalm 39, I'm going to read 4 through 7. And think of this in the context of David getting this grand responsibility from God that he did not expect. Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am. Indeed, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my age is as nothing before you. Certainly every, man is at his best, certainly every man at his best state is but a vapor, Selah. 
Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they, are, they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. And now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. So we can see in these verses that David clearly understood his role in God's plan. It wasn't about how, how strong or weak, tall or short, rich or poor, smart, not smart. It wasn't about any of those things. Even if he had every one of those things, David said, man at his best is a vapor. So it was about choosing to let God use him and submitting to that plan and seeing himself accurately in comparison to God. And I know some people might find that depressing to think about how little, how little the amazing things that happen, how, much, how little of that power comes from us and how it actually comes from God. Some people might find that depressing. And our culture, the culture around us would definitely fight against that message. You're supposed to empower yourself. You're supposed to believe good things about yourself all the time. And I think that that can often cause depression because if you replace God with yourself and then you realize how weak that can be, your God is very weak. So I think the opposite can often be true. To me, it's reassuring to think that my confidence is not in whatever skills I have or whatever assets I have that maybe I will lose. My confidence is in God, and whatever shortcomings I have don't have to limit what God could possibly do. So if you happen to be depressed about your shortcomings or resources or discouraged, remember David's words here. You might feel like you're not at your best, but man at his best is a shadow. So our hope is actually in God, not in how good of a shadow you are. Verse 13, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Now, there's a little bit of debate about the best way to translate this. Was it in the midst of his brethren, out from his brethren? But either way, it seems safe to assume that his brothers knew that David was chosen for something special, but they didn't somehow understand the full significance of what he was chosen for. And we can see that if we would go to the next chapter, we would see Eliab's comment to David seems to show that they didn't quite understand that he was going to be king. And then verse 14, but the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. All right, so here I want to stop as well. This is another point I would like to make. I don't know exactly what the timeline would have been here, but in verse 13, we have the Spirit of the Lord coming upon David from that day forth. Verse 14, the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And in my study, I don't know that I've feel comfortable giving a 100% answer on exactly how to define what the Spirit of the Lord was referring to. I don't know that it was the full indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we as believers have in the New Testament, but it definitely included a blessing of wisdom and understanding and strength in order to lead God's people. And that transferred from David to Saul. 
And this is one of the first indicators in the story of Saul and David that hints at that parallel between David being, sorry, Saul being the old man and David being the new man, being Paul's analogy about the old and new man, and David being a type of Christ, actually. And we don't run into it as much in this chapter, but one place that we have already mentioned it is in the area of dependence on self. So if y'all remember the story of Saul, his main, or at least his early main mistakes was not depending on God. So his first one, I believe, was when he was waiting on God. He was waiting on Samuel to come to a sacrifice, and he got impatient and decided to make a sacrifice himself. And then another one was when God had told him a very specific way to go about a battle, and he decided he had a little bit of a better idea of how to do that. So both of those were depending on himself. Whereas David, we've already looked at in Psalm 35, had a clear attitude of reliance on God and diminishing himself and relying on God. And that's one of the primary differences between putting off the old man and putting on the new man is switching our reliance from ourselves and so-called righteousness that we have to our reliance on God and his gift of imputed righteousness to us and the strength to live in that. There's also several other good examples from David's life, such as Saul always pursuing power while David pursued God. And maybe that'll be another sermon sometime. But I wanted to bring that up because this is one of the things that made me excited to study the life of David, is how he is often a very good picture of new life in Christ or Christ. So, next we have the story of the evil spirit distressing Saul. And once again, I'm sure there have been people who have studied this and know, have a very firm opinion on what exactly this is. I can't say that I'm quite there yet. I did look into it. And I would, it would seem that it is a demon or evil spirit, for sure, of some sort, possibly combined with some kind of psychological malady or something. And it would definitely seem that God either sent that spirit or allowed that spirit to go specifically target Saul. And Saul's servants were very aware. They correctly identified the problem. They gave him a recommendation of what to do about it. And they basically told him, you need to find someone to distract you when this happens. Find someone to distract you with beautiful music. Which in hindsight, it seems kind of like a short-sighted fix, doesn't it? Medicating the problem. Saul rebelled against God, and that's why the Spirit was there. But as far as I know, and... Oh, sorry, back up one little bit. But what I want to focus on is, what do the servants say about David when they're recommending him to King Saul? So one of the servants says, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who is skillful in playing a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Now, as far as I know, and the, the timeline is maybe slightly confusing, so I can't say it's 100% confidence, but as far as I know, this is before David had really faced any of his big tests and before God had told him you know, what his 
big responsibilities were going to be other than what he did as a shepherd, which he did have a few tests there. So being as how these character traits that this servant described are not something that you develop overnight, I think we can safely assume that David spent years of his life before and after being anointed as king preparing himself, building these character traits, even though he didn't know what God had for him in life. And I was thinking, what if he hadn't done that? What if David had thought to himself, I'm a shepherd, I got to be strong, I guess, but let me just develop what I need to, do, to be a shepherd and leave it at that. If God wants me to do something else, I guess he'll train me for that when it comes. I think it's safe to say God probably would have found a different person for a king. And as disappointing as that would be for us, I don't think we could have blamed him either because that is the natural response. We naturally think, let me prepare for what I have to do right now, and that's all we need. And that's how I act as well. I can think of quite a few stages in my life where I had what I needed right then, and I wasn't farsighted enough to look into what I was going to need and prepare for it. I was thinking of, I think it was probably about a month before I got married, I decided to ask my mom, do you, do you know of any, maybe she remembers this, maybe she doesn't, do you know of any specific things that I should do to help prepare to make life easier on my wife after I get married? And she probably had a whole list, but the one she told me was, well, I think maybe if you would be careful to, when you come home, put your shoes away instead of kicking them off wherever you happen to end up. And so I took that to heart. I'm not sure how good I got at it, though. <laughs> that would be a different question. But when I thought about that, I realized that I've had things like that all throughout my life. I, have, I could have started preparing things like that years before I even knew I was getting married. And that, that would have improved my ability to be a good husband. And I'm guessing that every one of us has that opportunity. If you're a child or a teenager and you're preparing to be an adult, you will have a lot of responsibilities as an adult that you don't have now. You don't necessarily need to have some of the things that you will need then, but you can start developing them now. If you're an adult, chances are your responsibilities will just grow in life. I'm not sure what happens more towards the end, but at least for most of us, if they're just going to keep growing and you have the opportunity to grow in your skill set and your ability to handle those things, like David was doing. And now, lest, lest I sound unbalanced and come off as sounding like it's all up to us to build ourselves up till we can handle what God sends our way, Let's quick glance back at verse 13. In verse 13, Daniel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So, I think that Spirit was the wisdom and knowledge necessary to rule Israel well. And so, God provided David for the responsibility that he gave David. So that's also a key part of it. So don't hear me saying that it's all up to us to do great things by ourselves or that God's going to go out there and do it without us. What I'm encouraging is that we let God 
use us, and that includes saying yes when he gives us opportunities to grow. So to continue with the story, to finish out the story here, Saul takes his servant's advice and sends to Jesse for David. And I can imagine that that would have been slightly distressing for Jesse and David. You think about what Samuel's worry was at the beginning of the chapter. If Saul figures out that I'm anointing another king, he's going to kill me. Now David knows he's anointed as that king, and here he gets a messenger from Saul saying, come to the palace. But he went anyway, which I think says something about David's character and his trust in God. And then another indicator we have immediately after of David's character is how when he showed up at the palace, it says Saul basically right away loved him. And he had a good impression on Saul right off the bat. And Saul sent for Jesse's permission, basically, to keep David there. And David stayed. And whenever Saul had this problem, where this distressing spirit came and bothered him, David would come in and he would play his harp, and it would drive that spirit away and give Saul some peace. Now, that's actually pretty amazing if you stop to think about it. Those of you who are in the men's class, Myron was talking about, probably one of the first weeks, was talking about the power of music. And I think he actually referenced this story. And think about this, this evil spirit specifically targeting Saul. God said, God gave the go-ahead or said, you can do that, gave permission, however that works. And yet, David was able to drive away this spirit with the skills and the music that God gave him. So that says something about the power of good music. I think we can assume that bad music goes the opposite way as well. But that definitely says something about the power of good music. And that is the end of the chapter. So thanks for sticking with me and giving your attention on that. Let's have a little bit of a conclusion. I want to answer, for this to do us any good, I want to be able to answer the questions. What does this passage teach us? How can that change us? And then what might God be trying to teach me personally from it? So what does the passage teach us is a little bit tricky because it's a story. It's not like Paul's letters where it's specifically teaching. But the two main lessons that, I would, that we looked at today that I would like us to take from this is one, God looks at the heart and we should, be try, we should try to be like him as much as we can be and try to look deeper than appearances. And two, we need to be simultaneously preparing ourselves and trusting God to give us what we need for our service to him. So how could that change us? Well, there's quite a few answers for that. But for one, it could help us become more caring and discerning of people by looking, for, to, by looking deeper instead of just looking at what we see at first glance. And the second is that, for me, David's life is inspiring. And there's quite a few things that I already know are the right thing to do. I know that I should be preparing my life for other responsibilities ahead. And seeing how David did that can inspire me to do that. So that's another way that it could change us. And then what might God be trying to teach me personally is not a question that I can answer for y'all. That's a 
question everyone has to ask themselves. But I was asking myself that while I was preparing, and just as an example, I thought, you know what, I have a Bible or my phone that has a Bible with me all the time, and I rarely run into situations where I just need a certain scripture right off the top of my head really quickly. That might not always be the case. So I can take this example of David preparing and prepare for a time where I might not have that. So that's just an example of something that God might want to teach me, but I would challenge each of you all to ask that question. And then let's end by singing Psalm 19, verse 14. And you can turn there if you want, but you will recognize it. And the reason I want to sing this psalm is because it is David's mindset, basically, that we've been looking at. And it possibly is even one that he would have sung to Saul whenever this distressing spirit was coming to Saul, or one that he might have wrote for that occasion. Someone said it was. I don't know how they know that. Either way, it is the, the mindset and the challenge that I want to leave us with. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. So here's that focus on heart being acceptable in God's sight. Because God's in our hearts. O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And there's that recognition of God being our strength. So let's end by singing the chorus that goes with that verse. <laughs> <laughs>